Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Think about where we were four years ago right now, but a month away from the world totally changing with the COVID pandemic, the onset of the COVID pandemic. And here we are four years removed from that. And I heard a headline earlier this week saying that the CDC is possibly going to make a major revision in COVID guidance, meaning basically nearly eliminating the isolation period if somebody tests positive for COVID, unless they have a fever. And I, you think about that time and that space and now how it's changed, it's almost hard to believe. But that's exactly what's happening. We thought we better get a guest on this, and we uh, always get a good one when we talk to Dr. Gregory Poland uh, from the Mayo Clinic, who joins us now on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker, Coldwell Banker Hotline. Dr. Pullman, are you surprised that this is being considered uh, by the CDC, or is this is this time? Is this just a natural progression of how we deal with, with a virus like this? Yeah, I think, Adam, one thing that is true, uh, and you started out with, is we don't yet know what this guidance will look like, right? We're kind of hearing rumors, so, so that's an important point. The, the second one is that to the extent that changes will be made, my guess is that they'll try to bring them in line with the same guidelines that we have for influenza or RSV and other respiratory viruses. But, you know, they're not even going to post these uh, presumed changes until probably early April or so and allow ample time for experts to comment on them, for the public to comment on them. And then uh, if they're going to issue any new guidance, probably would be mid-April at the earliest. That's a good point because this is based on a report that the Washington Post has about at least it's being discussed. But that's a great point in that until that time where the CDC says it, it shouldn't be viewed as a, whoa, they, you know, well, they're going to change it. So we, we don't need to really follow the old methods, follow the old rules. So exactly. at this, right. So right. at this point, if somebody's dealing with COVID, what is the best advice for that person? So the current advice is if they're infected with COVID, they are indeed in isolation for five days. And then they don't come out of that isolation until they're fever-free, without medications, and ideally have tested negative. So those are the current guidelines, and those are the guidelines I would encourage people to follow until we hear anything differently. And Perhaps even most importantly, and I think people don't realize this, while the numbers are fluctuating, we're still in the midst of a uh, resurgent cycle of a variant called JN1. In fact, uh, uh, I just checked on the recent numbers, about 20,000 Americans a week are sick enough with COVID to, to end up being in the hospital, and about 1,500 to 2,000 a week are dying of COVID. So it is certainly not too late 
to get the reformulated monovalent XBB booster. It is effective, not perfectly, but it is effective against symptomatic uh, COVID infection. So that's, that's the main uh, protective thing that we can do for ourselves and one another. Uh, going back to this report, and again, uh, you, you as you've mentioned, it probably wouldn't be until April until we hear something from the CDC, but uh, Americans who would test positive for COVID could reportedly stop isolating, potentially return to work and other activities once their fever ends for at least 24 hours and symptoms are milder improving. Just on that point, because I've had COVID twice, and both times I did not experience a fever. So how prevalent is fever as a symptom of COVID? Yeah, that's a good point, Adam, because the, the, between the number of vaccines and the amount of infection that's occurred, and that's sort of the, the foundation for why you even think about a potential change, is that population levels of immunity are pretty high. And so you start seeing a drop-off of some of the symptoms we saw with the original variants. Some people don't have much of any fever um, they don't have red, runny eyes. They may not have cough. In fact, one of the things that as, as you do more testing, and certainly we do in research settings that you find out is there are people who are infected who are asymptomatic. They don't have any symptoms that they're aware of, and yet they're still potentially infectious. So fever is one of them, but you know the rumors about this uh, new policy is that they would be fever-free for 24 hours without the aid of medications and have mild or no symptoms. What is the connection? I think this goes for a lot of different viruses, but what is the connection between experiencing symptoms and level of contagion? Yeah, certainly, you know, if you're coughing, if you have a fever, uh, that, that suggests that you have a greater viral burden and a greater opportunity to spread it. So these are respiratory-borne viruses. If I'm coughing and sneezing and hacking away, I'm more likely to spread that virus out into the environment, whether it's high or low level. But when you're symptomatic, you tend to have higher levels. When you're asymptomatic, you're not coughing, you're not sneezing. You have a low viral titer and are therefore proportionately less likely to transmit it. I've uh, got a couple of text questions coming in. Dr. Poland, can I ask you a couple questions from our yeah, listeners? Yeah. And we're talking to sure. Dr. Gregory Poland from the Mayo Clinic. And this is one about uh, immunity. How, is there a definite answer on how long immunity lasts once you've had COVID? I wish there was. <laughs> and it really depends on age, medical condition, uh, whether you have hybrid immunity, whether you have just vaccine-induced immunity or infection-induced immunity. Generally speaking, what you can say and be pretty safe about it is that if you've gotten a vaccine, if you've gotten infected, you are reasonably uh, well protected against COVID for somewhere in the two to three month time period. Now, the problem is and the reason I can't give you, you know, what you'd love is a straightforward, you know, you're safe for three months. Right. Answer is that the variants keep changing. So you could be immune or have good immunity against one viral variant, have that mutate into another variant, and get sick again. Good example is uh, the XBB formula for the vaccine was chosen in June. 
Just a few months later in September, we started seeing a new variant, 1% to 2% of the cases called JN1. Today, it's essentially all the cases. All of the illnesses that are happening now are JN1, and they are happening in people who have previously been vaccinated, previously been infected, and that immunity wears off with time, and what immunity we do have can be evaded by or overcome by a different viral variant, and hence the need to continue to get uh, boosters or vaccinations. Another question for you. This is a personal one. I've had COVID twice. The first one, first time was pretty rough. Second one was like uh, just a pretty severe cold. Uh, is there evidence that suggests like the more times you have it, the the lesser uh, effects you have, the lesser the the difficulty of it is? That's a great question, Adam. And the answer is no, not necessarily <laughs> so. Primarily because you you know you are generally um, protected for three plus months after having gotten it infected, maybe as long as four or five months. And then along comes a new variant. And that new variant can have different symptoms and cause a different uh, severity of illness in an individual. The other thing that seems to be clear is that the risk for long COVID and COVID complications may actually increase with each episode of COVID infection. That's frightening. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think people don't realize this. They they think, you know, a little bit like flu. Well, if I got the flu um, last week, I, I'm good for this season. And, and again, that's not necessarily true. But with COVID, it's even a, a more nuanced, complex situation. Uh, last question for you. And that, again, we the reason we talk to you is because, you know, at least reporting suggests that the CDC will change the guidelines here. And you know this, doctor, uh, that people will look at this and say, well, why the heck did we have to go through all that separation and all the lockdowns uh, if this now if they've revised this? Uh, what is your answer to that with people who clearly have been frustrated by uh, the measures that we t- undertook back in you know, 2020 and 2021? Yeah, I I think the big difference now versus then is that there was not high levels of population immunity. You know, the fact of the matter is, I'll just use myself as an example. I finally had my first episode of COVID in October. Um, I had gotten all the vaccines, et cetera. It was really pretty mild. But if I had gotten as an, as an older male, who's blood group A, if I had gotten COVID in the beginning, likely I would have had a pretty rough course. So the difference is that we were taking measures to protect a highly vulnerable, immunologically naive population four years ago. And that's not the same context or situation today. Dr. Poland, we always enjoy our conversations. Thank you so much for the time today and uh, uh, hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Adam. Be well. Dr. Gregory Poland, vaccination expert from the Mayo Clinic, 1119 News Talk 830 WCCO. will react to what the doctor had to say. Uh, coming back, and you can chime in, too, 651-461-9226. Got this text here. I'm not nor ever have been an anti-vaxxer, but I've always felt that we should have also listened to doctors and scientists who are on the other side of the process we went through. I wanted an open dialogue. You know, there's some truth to that. I think, and I even look at myself and say, you know what? I got caught up into things that 
we really, when we look at this, and we're again, we're coming up on four years since it started, where I, I felt okay. This is I'm listening to science, and it uh, it hasn't changed my view on listening to scientists. But we became so militant about it that well, this is that we really a lot of us did not have time to listen to anybody else. A lot of that was fear. A lot of that was uncertainty. A lot of that was political because we aligned well if like you're if if you don't want to listen to science you must be a supporter of this person or have these kind of views when no we, we this texture is right we should have open dialogue and yes even if a majority of the scientists and doctors are in one camp mm-hmm. and we do have others including you know dr scott jensen who ran for governor others who are in a different camp it doesn't we shouldn't automatically just have been so quick to say well you don't know what you're talking about that's yeah. purely political also about and I've come to this is something I realized just in the last couple of weeks that I continued to work physically in an office throughout the entirety of the pandemic that I was essential enough that I drove downtown every day and still worked in an office and yes there were certain restrictions at certain times but that skewed my vision as to how it really affected people and I was too dismissive of people who said this has really disrupted my life it's disrupted my children's lives. It's disrupted, uh, disrupted how we've gone through life. And I will admit I was too dismissive of that because I continued to work and my life didn't really drastically change that much. And I think I was not sympathetic enough to people whose lives absolutely were upended, whether it was work, uh, their office, or their kids and activities because my kids were younger enough where it didn't really affect like if my like if if it would have happened today and my child who's a junior and is about to participate in the state dance tournament uh if that would have affected them and restricted their ability or restricted their ability to go through graduation I would have been devastated and I think I was too quick to uh, dismiss those thoughts not that I was totally unsympathetic to them but again it was just like caught up in the moment saying, oh, this is for the good of everybody. We all need to be in this together. And I still think we failed at that. But I think a lot of that has to do with a lack of understanding, a lack of sympathy for people with other views. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another issue that I think we are looking back and realizing now is that these decisions about COVID, yes, it was a long pandemic, but we were making these decisions quickly like no one ever heard of covid Correct. or the covid vaccine and you have to decide right, right now what you're going to do and your decision is going to impact where you're going to be welcome and what things in life are going to be available to you whereas in a non-pandemic environment like you get to decide whether you vaccinate your kids yep. and you get years and years to think about what that decision is going to be and what vaccines right. you're going to do. And should I do it now or yep. should I wait a month? And like, I, and I still, may still view that that's the wrong decision if yes. you don't, Yep, but that's your decision to make. And you don't have to make it right now. Yeah. It's going to affect every part of your life immediately when you make it. Right. Um, you get time to think about right. those things. But you know what else though, that I think we need more of is what I just did. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm admitting that during those years, or at least initially I had views that probably, I was wrong on. And you know what? People from in the CDC or doctors, too, were hearing that, too. In fact, that's saying, you know, the lockdowns, the certain restrictions we had probably were a little aggressive to what we actually deal with. And now because we know more about this virus and we know how it reacts and we know how it's transmitted, 
that we probably could have taken it differently. So many of us are quick to say, aha, see, you, 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 you were wrong about it. And you ruined our lives because of it. No, that's not why they did it. It wasn't on purpose. It's because that's, like Dave just said, that they were dealing with the information we had at the time. Coronavirus. And we had to do something. Doing nothing was not the right decision. Right. So we did a lot, and some of it worked, and some of it didn't. Right. And that, that's and we should be able to admit it and uh, admit it and give people grace for you know what I thank you for admitting it was the wrong decision I'll I'll give you I also will acknowledge that you didn't do that uh, to purposely make people's lives miserable that you did it out of an effort to save lives and I think we can do both yeah Um, it just is extraordinary too that that happened in the era of Trump and an seemingly ever-widening gap of political yep. tension in our country and, and the fact that that just happened. drove us further. Oh, it's like a, it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, here's text. Remember, Trump didn't take COVID seriously. It scares me that he will probably be our next president. A million people died, and if he would have taken it seriously, maybe only half that amount would have died, just saying. Yeah, I don't know about that figure. Uh, yeah, obviously, that's a lot of deaths, and yes, we, had, we experienced more deaths than other uh, countries in similar situations, but I'm not fully prepared to lay that blame at the foot of Donald Trump. Did I think he handled it well? No. Um, There's a lot of confusion. There was a lot of um, states that were left up to their own devices to deal with it. But um, again, I'll say this, if the COVID doesn't happen, and basically his handling of COVID is what cost him the presidency. Um but I'm not willing to lay all those deaths singly at his hand. Uh, you're right. We had to make quick decisions, but 12 to 18 months later, when states were fully open, not sequestering, et cetera, our state remained closed, not following science. Biggest story in the U.S. you're not talking about, but you're talking about a four-year-old virus. Seriously. Uh, I'm not sure about that last line, but no, I get it. Um, uh, 1129 News Talk 830 WCCO. Chris Farley would have been 60 years old today. Chris Farley would have been 60 years old today. And my question to you is this. Had Chris Farley not sadly uh, died at an early age, I believe he was 30 or 33, 30, I think, would we still feel the same about Chris Farley? Would we still hold him in as high as regard as we do? Meaning most people probably consider him one of the better performers on Saturday Night Live. And it just is a good conversation about when people die tragically uh, too soon, we tend to hold them up on a pedestal, whereas had they not done that, we view them differently. 651-461-9226, and you can also chime in with your favorite Chris Farley moments, as he would have turned 60 years old today. That is coming up next on News Talk 830 WCCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Now let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced. 
and I live in a van down by the river. Oh, man, Chris Farley. Chris Farley would have turned 60 years old today had he lived. Died uh, way too young. 33 years old, died uh, in Chicago. Uh, it's been a long time. Passed away in 1997, right before Christmas. Um, and here's the thing, and I don't mean to, you know, I think Chris Farley's a little overrated. Slightly. Was he funny? Extremely funny. But I feel like Chris Farley was kind of the one-trick kind of pony, even though he did that trick very, very well. But I think we romanticize Chris Farley because, sadly, he died young. He died the same age as John Belushi, his idol. And it doesn't take – I don't want to take anything away from those funny moments, that character. As I, I mean, if you come up with, I don't know, 10 greatest characters on, on, from Saturday Night Live history, is Matt Foley uh, the, the guy, the motivational speaker on that list? For some pe- a lot of people, I think so. I mean, obviously, everybody knows that line. Been down by the river. So, but it leads us to a conversation. And I was going to do this. Okay, Chris Farley died. Who are the greatest characters from Saturday Night Live? Well, we've done that. And I'll say Phil Hartman. End of discussion. Greatest cast member ever on Saturday Night Live. And if you want to chime in there, you can. But Dave brought up a great point. Do we think more favorably of Chris Farley? Do we idolize him a little more? Because he died young. And I think unequivocally the answer is absolutely yes. I think that's happened. That's just human nature. We look more favorably about people. Sadly, when they die young, they become more legendary. We we certainly forgive their faults more. And we elevate their status more. And we give them higher credence to how they contributed to society. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same with Chris Farley. Again, not to say that... Well, he wasn't funny, and we think he was funny. No, he absolutely was funny, but I think we elevate him to a higher status because, sadly, he died too young. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's um, a lot of other actors that maybe flashed as brightly as Chris Farley, and then their careers yeah. petered out after that for this reason or that. Sure. And, you know, you remember a skit, and you go, oh, who uh, who was that again? Oh, they were kind of never in anything else, and we kind of forget. But when somebody like Chris Farley dies, now, he, he could have also been wildly successful right. for the last 30 years. We just don't know. Yep. But his passing almost cements his celebrity yep. and it endears us to him even more because he passed when he was uh, at the height, at least the height that he gotten so to that far in his career. Do you put him, uh, like, a, where, as far as Saturday Night Live goes, how, how high do you put Chris Farley as somebody who entertained you being in that venue, being on that show? I think my... Okay, so I think I would put him in my top 10. Yep. But I think that's impacted by the fact that he passed away and skits like this have been cemented in my mind as some of the classic SNLs. Now, I'm not somebody who watches religiously, so I think if mm-hmm. I did watch religiously sure. and I went back and watched hours and hours and was subjective about it, I think there'd be a lot of deeper cuts that I would pick instead of Chris Farley. But from a casual observer, I think largely because of his passing too early, yes, I'd put him on that top 10 list. Anybody else? I, I, I love that conversation because, and it's, again, it, it, I do a little hesitant with a little hesitancy because, okay, well, you're demeaning them. No, we're not. But is there people objectively can look at and say, because that person died sadly too young, 
that we that we we elevate their status or we think they were better than they actually were. Not to say that they weren't good, but just like a River Phoenix. I mean, we still talk about River Phoenix, and River Phoenix sadly died too young, and he had a couple of great roles. Uh, Stand by me, obviously, but is that somebody we hold in too high of a regard? Other people who sadly have died young and that maybe are remembered a little more fondly than they ought to be. Uh, is Blois? Is, do we have another Blois or is this our Blois? Are there two Bloises in the metro area? Not to my knowledge. Okay, if good. there were... <laughs> That'd be something else. Some yes. Chime in, Blois. Okay, what do you issues. think here? Um, no, my Chris Farley... Uh, memory story is uh, I was at Dudley Riggs one night. Dudley Riggs used to do an improv set after the last show. So mm-hmm. it was like 1130 or 1145. And uh, they were getting ready to do the improv set and Chris Farley showed up hmm. and did it. And this is at peak Chris Farley. He was in town, wanted to do some improv and was there. And I was like in the second row and watched him work at close and in person. Anybody who knows anything about improv, he was like nine steps ahead of everyone, yep. A, in the audience, B, on the stage. And and so I think he would be mem- remembered. I think he's still remembered as an amazing talent and a tragic death. And I just, every time his name comes up, I think of witnessing his comedic genius yep. in that moment as my reason why it's even a bigger tragedy because I've never close seen somebody that brilliant in that capacity. You know what? You raise a great point. And I think one that, again, I've, I I think I was just moments ago too dismissive of him saying, okay, a one trick pony when it absolutely not that he was that comedy, those comedy chops were there that I think because most people said, Oh, he's the big fat, funny guy that that actually diminished um, not diminished, but I think it caused us to overlook other true, absolutely fantastic comedic skills that he had. Yeah. The way, the way I thought of it is, of course, I knew he was. I thought he was funny. Physical humor along with the other humor. Like, I mean, those are the two things together that I believe are just rare. Watching his brain work, or you know what I mean? Just yeah. seeing how... That's where I, up close and personal, I was like, yeah, this, this is a talent that I've never seen before, ever, and may never again. So. Your top, you your number, uh, maybe you can make a list on this, but your num- top uh, SNL cast member of all time is? Uh, Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray? Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Eddie Murphy. It's pretty good. Thank you, boys. Be good. See you, Adam. Yep. See ya. What'd you say? What'd you want me to ask him? Well, his, his phone was needs right? a new phone. His phone. Like he's at Eddie Murray. You know, yeah. great baseball player. Also very funny. Eddie Murray. Uh, no, Eddie Murphy. And somebody <laughs> says Eddie Murphy was way more versatile than Phil Hartman. I. I don't know. I mean, Phil Hartman was pretty versatile. But Phil, you know, there's different types of cast members. Like Eddie Murphy is the superstar cast member. Like um, one that 
people are drawn to. Like Dana Carvey was the same way. Then you just had like role players who did their job. Like Phil Hartman was the ultimate role player, literally. Like any kind of, I mean, it never was for him was about like the superstar. Like, hey, that's Phil Hartman. You got to see Phil Hartman. It was Phil Hartman. It was, you were seeing who Phil Hartman was at the time. It wasn't about him. Like you'd watch Dana Carvey. Oh, that's Dana Carvey. You know, that's, or that's Eddie Murphy, man. That's, but, or, you know, Adam Sandler, another one. That's Adam Sandler. But Phil Hartman, he would become the people he was acting as. And that's why that's just the subtleness and the, just, just how that's what drew me to Phil Hartman. Other people who, th- who we, I guess, people are texting in uh, names of people who we think a little too highly of. Not too highly. That's wrong. I, it's hard to talk about this, but we, uh, people who we feel are overrated just simply because they died young. Someone says Janis Joplin. I, I mean, great voice, obviously, big impact, and her song, her music lives on. But is it the same if she lives and continues performing? I don't know. You, I go, we never know, but it's speculate on that. Amy Winehouse? I mean, that's – but also you talk about a brief period of time where she actually performed before she sadly did die and the impact that music had. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, Adam, I think almost all people are held in high regard when they pass, not only celebrities or those who die young. Absolutely. That's just kind of we view those who we lose because we yeah. were robbed of so much time with them that we're only left mm-hmm. to memorialize them yeah. and what could have been. I think of uh, the comedian Mitch Hedberg, uh, who's got some oh, Minnesota yeah. ties, and he's somebody who I, we remember so fondly. Right. I think at least my generation does. And he was uh, pretty good. To those I mean, that comedy, is yeah, yeah, I know. Very but, unique. But part of the reason you remember him is that he passed tragically too soon. Yep. Uh, Kate McKinnon, the variety of people she imitated originally. I know people uh, put Kate and Kate McKinnon is supremely talented. Uh, I would put, um, Kirsten, Kristen Wiig ahead of her. I think Kristen Wiig also one of those people who had all these just variety of characters that were just so like, just so nuanced and so good that anybody else I don't think would have been able to do that. Uh, Chris Farley's art kind of follows John Belushi. Both had meteoric rise and were just coming into their own and were branching into dramatic roles. Absolutely. I mentioned that before. What about the Chippendale skit with Patrick Swayze? Uh, both those guys gone. Now, Patrick Swayze no longer with us. The hilarious girls that worked them all with David Spade and Adam Sandler. Yes, very good. Lunch Lady Land, the sloppy Joe with the lunch lady with, uh, with um, Adam Sandler. Absolutely. Karen Carpenter, someone suggests, as another person we... Uh, elevate higher than maybe had they lived. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 